Anne-Marie Garitas is trying to figure something out. In Spanish foreign language classrooms, are the teaching or instructional materials helping or hindering students who are trying to learn to speak Spanish? With the help of some recent recognition and grants, she plans to find an answer, along with potential solutions if things aren't quite up to par. Plus, we learn that Anne-Marie is a self-proclaimed big dork. Education Eclipse empieza ahora. Education, news, and research. These are the conversations happening inside education, athletic training, sports science, and sport management that are going to transform each. It's Education Eclipse from Washington State University. All right, we're back here on Education Eclipse, and I'm joined by Anne-Marie Garitas, an assistant professor in the College of Education, and I've known Anne-Marie for almost five years now. But we're not talking about how long we've known each other. What we're talking about is the Barry Family Fellowship. She's one of two individuals here in the College of Education that is a Barry Family Fellow, along with Sarah Ulrich French and Ann Cox. And we're going to talk about that research uh, as well as this is news, right? We, we do things based on what's current. And the current thing is the fact that you have won a, an award from the Spencer Foundation and we're going to talk about the research that you're doing with that. But all of it is dealing with language, including, um, I'm just going to say, a second language or language um, it's primarily Spanish, foreign language. But you can, you can explain it a little more yeah. since I, I probably will butcher this. Just as a, a primer, the Berry Family Fellowship, the, the research is called Pioneering Research on Language Teaching Materials from Spanish Foreign Language Classrooms to WSU Teacher Preparation. And then the, uh, the Spencer one, which we'll talk about, that proposed um, thing was research to improve U.S. foreign language education. How do instruction materials in Spanish classrooms help or hinder student, students in learning to speak the language? I'd love to chat about those two things. Well, welcome. Yes, thank you. Usually, anytime we're, we're talking about research, it's based on something, based on a need, an issue, a challenge that we're facing, right? Yes. So what kind of challenge do we face that had you drawn to the research that you're doing? Yeah, well, I think for this project with the Spencer and the Berry on um, Spanish as a foreign language textbooks, there's a lot of reasons why we did this. The one most compelling one, I think, for our funders and the public was that um, I discovered over the past year, it's something like 90% or more of English-speaking American kids that study a foreign language don't actually learn it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I took took Spanish in high school. Uh, I speak Spanish now, but I I didn't learn anything. Not really. I mean, I I learned how to say, you know, donde esta el baño. Right. You you really don't grasp until you are immersed, and and not everybody has that, that ability to become immersed. And so... I think our teaching is, it suffers. Yes. Traditionally. Right. right. Yes, exactly. And we, I mean, that number sort of surprised me, but also didn't, right? Because I get all sorts of students will come through my classes now and they'll say, oh, I studied foreign language, but I don't speak it, right? That's like, <laughs> like that's what Americans say, right? They study right. like two, three years of French or Spanish or maybe German grammar. Um, so that number didn't really surprise me. It's in a book called by this guy named Kaplan. Okay. Um, and I think his book is called Why Education is a Waste of Time, uh-huh. which is a really sad title, <laughs> right, it's... for a book. And I don't believe that, obviously, but the like the stat was really compelling 
And that's like in the very first line of our grant, right? Like, unfortunately, 90 some percent of Americans who study a foreign language don't actually learn it. To me, it doesn't seem like we need to reinvent the wheel. I mean, how many other yeah. countries are teaching mm-hmm. foreign languages and they are acquired and retained? Right. Like, why are we doing such a bad job? <laughs> Maybe because we believe we are the best and doing a great job. I don't know. Right, because we believe we don't need it. Right. Right, so then you don't have enough teachers that actually speak a foreign language well to teach it to the new generation. In our research, we say, you know, there's this problem. Americans don't learn foreign languages very well mm-hmm. or in great numbers. Sure. Um, the primary resources in the classroom or the teacher and then the textbook, right? Right. Um, so our research looks at the textbook and we're looking at basically how, if you go into different classrooms around the country, cause we're doing a national project, if you go into different Spanish classes around the country, if you look at different types of textbooks, what kind of opportunities for language learning do those textbooks elicit? And that's kind of at the heart of our research. So to try to understand what that tremendously important research or resource, which is textbooks, um, what kind of opportunities for learning do they offer or not offer? So that's really the heart of our research. And no one's, it's really odd that researchers haven't really studied foreign language textbooks, like almost at all, or they've studied them, but they haven't studied them. They'll study them in isolation, like a researcher will sit in their office and like analyze the textbook, but researchers aren't going into classrooms and saying, oh, what are the students doing with the textbook? What's the teacher doing with the textbook? So that's one of the big lines of research that I've developed over the past like six years or so. I keep hearing these commercials on the radio. You know, you can download the app and this one lady's, now I'm speaking Spanish. And I'm right. like, I doubt you're speaking Spanish from this app. Right. I say that, but then at the same time, I do know a young man that was from Uruguay. He says it all the time. He learned to speak English from watching, uh, he says, Die Hard. And just MTV from this back in the late 90s. And he's like, I learned how to speak English. And I was like, all right. He does a pretty good job, too. So You kind of hear that a lot, I think, abroad. Yeah. I've heard that a fair amount. And that could be exposure. I I mean, see the pop culture. There's a draw for a lot of folks to to watch these American productions. And we don't tend to grow up wanting to watch something from. And then there's there's the motivation, too, right? That people want to learn it. Yeah. they They put the time in or. It's kind of, I'm kind of curious when people say that, that they learned it from TV or, you know, when they're abroad. Because I imagine they've probably also um, done other things, like gone to tutoring or something. You know, that's an interesting thing because I, my family heritage is Romanian. Okay. Um, on my dad's side. And now, granted, I've been saying that I'm trying to learn Romanian for about, about eight, nine years, right? I've been saying the same thing. I'm trying, I'm learning Romanian. Yeah, it's it's a, been a long process. Oh, yeah. And I have books, right? I have I have books that I've I've tried to use. Okay. Um, and it's really, it's really a struggle, right. right? I know speaking Spanish, right? That this is another romance language and, and, uh, I grasp the grammar portion of right. it. I, I get it. Right. Uh, but just being able to not be immersed and there's really not a whole lot that I can find the good Romanian movies that have English subtitles. And I, I mean, I, w- I don't even know where to find that kind of um, yeah. activity and, don't really have a tutor on that, so. Well, and typically we need interaction to actually learn a language. I really have enjoyed our our superintendent of public instruction, okay. Chris Rakedall, who's a who's a Coug. Mm-hmm. He's a graduate here of uh, Washington State University from the College of Ed. He has tweeted various times about our need to let's just say get with the program, right? Okay. 
and, and start acquiring languages, start teaching it a lot younger than we do. For sure. And that that is often one of the biggest perils, I think, in the way we, we, we teach things is we're focused on secondary education for right. languages. And I don't know about you, but my high school, you had a choice of French and Spanish. That was it, Damn. right? And we're looking at the global needs of today, mm-hmm. you know, Mandarin, Russian, different forms of Arabic. Right. Certainly Spanish is incredibly relevant. Right. Uh, but all of these languages, and yet still, a lot of times in the high schools, it's still Spanish or French. Yeah, well, I think that is that is one of the big issues of why our students don't learn the languages that they spend three years studying because little kids learn. I mean, sort of what we say in applied linguistics is that really little kids learn foreign languages better, but older kids, post-adolescents or adults learn them faster um, is kind of how we view it in the research. So older kids could learn it, Hmm. um, but we also... Yeah, little kids, I mean, we should start younger because their accents will be better. Um, they'll they'll get sort of more accurate syntax and pronunciation. Um, you know, some people talk about their brains as being little sponges, which is some <laughs> truth there. But but on the other hand, pe- there, are, there are people that do learn languages really fluently as adults, but I think a lot of the times we're not using the right methods in the secondary schools. Like there's this, we're using methods that are like date back to, um, like the teaching of Latin in Europe. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, we need to move on. Like, let's fast forward to more recent methods, like the ones used in Europe, for example. So we, you know, I think high schoolers could learn these languages better, but we're not using the right methods for the most part. So your research specifically deals with instructional materials in mm-hmm. Spanish classrooms. Yeah. Uh, so let's just talk about that, right? Yeah. Where do we sit on, you know, the instructional materials that exist? Right. And tell me about the actual research or, you know, whether it's the methodology or what, yeah. whatever you're doing to, to review this and see right. yeah. where we're at. Yeah, so um, I have two co-PIs. It's a one-year project. And we are actually, we're actually collecting data in university-level Spanish classes, beginning and intermediate, which are actually not that different from high school classes in a lot of ways. Um, and it's a national study, or it's at least occurring in three different states, so Ohio, Idaho, and Washington. Um, and we're looking at, um, I mean, in some ways it's kind of exploratory because there is not much research. So we will be in the classes and just recording what teachers and students naturally do. Um, we'll be with, I think we have like 12 professors, 12 instructors, Spanish instructors that will study for a month each. So we'll have, gosh, like maybe a thousand or so students across these three states. Um, And we'll just sort of see like in the typical textbooks, you know, what types of activities tend to to elicit different types of opportunities to talk. Like, you know, I think some ways that we think about it is there's, you know, grammar activities, there's vocab activities, there's readings and discussions. Sometimes there's pictures, sometimes Teachers will create the materials or they'll have PowerPoints and we're just going to kind of see, you know, what sort of design features of materials tend to do a better job of giving students opportunities to talk. And that's really what we're interested in because um, in the field, we're kind of, as a field, language education, we know that kids aren't going to learn Spanish if they're just sitting there listening to their professor talk about grammar. 
And that's actually probably what most professors do. Mm. Um, when kids actually learn Spanish, when students learn Spanish, those are, those are times when they actually have the opportunity to practice, to make mistakes, to talk about things that actually are meaningful. Um, and meaningful can mean, you know, different things. Like one of the best activities I saw in a pilot study was a teacher. It was actually a French class. He had two pictures of two different houses in a beginning French class and just told the students, describe them and compare and contrast in French. And it was like the only time I heard the students speak French all semester. Um, and like linguists, I reported this at a conference and they were like, that's so cool. Like just, you know, the pictures and it seems kind of mundane, but when you think about it, um, you know, our rationale is if we can find what types of textbooks or materials or activities give students opportunities to speak the language, that means that we know just in linguistics when they have opportunities to speak and interact, that translates into language acquisition, like in the brain, and then they can build on that and continue learning Spanish and go out into the world and communicate with, you know, the millions of people that speak Spanish in the United States. Um, and, you know, we view it in our research as an important form of reciprocity socially, um, and that's where we feel like the social impact is. You know, most people that speak Spanish in the United States speak English, but a lot of people who speak Spanish as their native language don't feel always 100% comfortable in English or they have limited proficiency. So we see it as encouraging American, or excuse me, English-speaking students to learn Spanish to, you know, exercise a little reciprocity, right? Because um, people appreciate it when we speak their language, not just English. Well, and not only that, I know how much English I learned right. due to learning Spanish. Okay. Um, both different yeah. grammatical nuances right. as well as actually a slew of new vocabulary. Right. Um, there, there certainly are, are things that I wouldn't have normally said in English, right. but they're common words in Spanish. And then when you, when you really learn what those are, you know, what that means, now right. all of a sudden it turns out there's an English equivalent that was some obscure word. Sure. And so there there actually was quite a bit that I learned aside from the reciprocity. Yep. But being able to open up different different friendships and uh, yeah. foster understanding I think was really important. Right. Um, of course I was let known very quickly that the Spanish I learned was not Spanish, it was Castellano <laughs> from Argentina. <laughs> uh, you know, so I had I had to I had to actually learn a lot of other vocabulary words because right. they don't say a lot of the stuff that you learn in your in your high school Spanish class, I mean, certainly the fruits, fruits were all different in Argentina. Right. It, was, true. it was very, yeah, very strange and new for me. It was like, yeah. what is this? But now, now I know a few, a uh, few other ways to say things. So that we have all sorts of different standard forms uh -huh. of Spanish depending sure. on the country and the region, right? And right. It's funny because I speak English as my first language and most of the Spanish I know is from a rural part of Mexico. Because right? I've lived off and on in the Yucatan for like 10 or more years. And when I talk to my Mexican friends who are from like the cosmopolitan areas, they like crack up laughing because <laughs> they think I have kind of a hick Spanish. <laughs> Embrace it. I do. I totally here. do. <laughs> oh my goodness. So tell me, you know, with the Spencer Foundation proposal that you had accepted and what comes with that? What is, yeah. is it finance? I mean, is that basically yes. going to help you? They're going to give yeah. you some money to do this? Yeah. So it's... Um, a couple things. Yeah. So the big part is it's a monetary award of $50,000. Okay. Um, so that enables us to have resources to do the research. 
um, tire research assistant and who our research assistant speaks like five languages. So Excellent. We're, we're excited to work with her. Um, it allows us to, we have most of the equipment already. Um, but a lot of it is money towards like the manpower. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's a lot of data collection. Um, and then, and actually the $50,000 goes really fast. Right. So we have like just a couple budget items and then it's, it's gone. It's know. amazing how fast it goes. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Um, so the action, it's actually called the small grant. Oh, right. <laughs> so they're big grants, like a million dollars. Um, you know, and I think the Spencer foundation is really highly regarded. So that's always really helpful. And, you know, hopefully we can build on this and do a, like a truly huge study. Um, and that's kind of, I've heard from other faculty that are more experienced with grants you know, this is a good foundation. You know, now that I've done this, I can kind of prove that I'm able to do the grant work and whatever, and then apply for something bigger, hopefully. So, but one step at a time. So you mentioned these 12 schools or whatever. I mean, in general. The 12 teachers, yeah. Yeah, 12 teachers. Are are these um, Eastern Washington? Are they somewhere else? Yeah. Well, I'm not allowed to say the exact schools, exact, right? Course. For participant That's why I said protection. In general. Right. So um so one of our big criteria actually for selecting the schools was that so we have Ohio, Idaho, Washington. So these are three really fairly different states, okay. right? You have a red state, a blue state, and a swing state. Right, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. And then we also have a, a liberal arts college. We have a medium sized state school and then a research school, right? And that was, we felt like that was important because different types of institutions are probably having, you know, different priorities, different emphasis on instruction, and then maybe we'll be surprised. So that was also kind of important, sort of that broad sampling of types of American institutions. Sure. So... So, and then the, the so what portion of it, yeah. right at the at the end, mm-hmm. let's say you do this research. Is it a product or something that you're saying, hey, here's something that we're developing that's an instructional aid or yeah. is it is it merely informational so that those who do produce these kind of resources can do a better job? What What's the yeah. what's the hope? I mean, so there's sort of the I think there's a couple different. So what's like from a research perspective um, you know, I, I should send you this article. So I did a study kind of like this with my advisor in grad school back in 2013 for the Modern Language Journal on English language learners. Very similar, like how, does, how do textbooks, how are they used? How do they influence the language of classrooms? How do they help students and teachers facilitate learning? Um, and one of the reasons I'm continuing this research is because I wrote this article with my advisor and then a couple leading scholars in my field wrote an article about the article, like saying, this is so cool. Like textbooks are important. Good job, Anne-Marie and Bill. Like why <laughs> haven't other people studied this? This is kind of crazy. Um, and they very, like it was very humbling because they described this research as like groundbreaking. Like everyone in the world uses textbooks. Why hasn't anyone else studied this before? Right? So so part of the research, so what, is that we're hoping to start creating kind of a taxonomy that other researchers can use, which would kind of look in simple terms like these t- features of textbooks tend to elicit this type of language from students, mm. which in the world of language acquisition translates into learning, right? So if, if, you, if we have these types of textbooks, then we can, if teachers use it in this way, then students will be able to do this. You know what your learning outcomes are. Right, exactly. 
And so that's kind of a, a, so then other researchers can hopefully use our taxonomy and expand on it. And I have um, a really cool research group, um, you know, so this Modern Language Journal article that I wrote with my advisor um, ended up like really exploding. And then I had like students from around the world contacting me in my first year here, like, can you help us? And I'm like, I'm in my first year, like, okay. But it actually expanded into this really cool research group Muse International, and it's really like blown up. And we have professors from like Ivy League schools and like students, and it's a really nice community. Um, but you know, we've talked about this. This field is so young of language classroom textbook research, um, but so important. And I think that's why these students from around the world, grad students, started contacting me. And now we have this really cool international research consortium. Um, that I kind of became the like founder of. Um, so, you know, we're trying to put out ideas about like, what is this taxonomy of like textbook use and language that it, you know, can elicit. And then it won't be perfect, but other researchers can expand on it and perfect it. So from a research perspective, you know, it's, it's important. And I think that's why Spencer funded it. Um, and then, from a, so from a practical standpoint for teachers, like once we sort of get this taxonomy in order and figure out what features of textbooks and language classrooms help students to learn the language, then we can translate that into redesigning textbooks or choosing good textbooks or good materials. They don't even necessarily have a lot of time to go through them and, right. and actually connect the dots exactly. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Or, or you have teachers, like especially language teachers. They're not specialists, some of them, in certain things. Exactly. Generalists that have to exactly. pinch hit. <laughs> right. So like these people maybe studied like, you know, 15th century Spanish literature, and then, like, they're told to go teach this class. Right. Like, they don't necessarily right. know the inner workings of the brain in terms of how They can tell me everything about Don Quixote de la Mancha. Exactly. Nothing about, right. right, and it, that's not their fault, right? So, <laughs> so you know, they choose textbooks based on things like, oh, this was the textbook I used, or this feels like a textbook that's comfortable. That doesn't mean it's a good textbook, right? Right. So if we can start having textbooks designed on principles of what's actually good for students' language acquisition, you know, once te- once the publishers come on board, sure. eventually, and this is like years down the line, and then there's other, you know, we also know that teachers actually learn from their textbooks, mm-hmm. like they learn how to teach. Sure. So textbooks are so important. Right, and you do want to update them because I'm sure that if anybody in our cultural studies and social thought and education program were right. sitting right here, they'd say, oh, by the way, if that teacher was using the textbook now that they were using before, right. they're probably laden with different stereotypes Racism and other things. Racism and like sexism. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So it's not even like our, so our Spencer study is really focused on this one little the piece. language part. On the like yeah. acquisitional piece, the learning piece, right? But like in my research group, Muse, we have researchers doing all, like all of this, like that you just mentioned. Like I have a, I was on a, a panel with one of our, PhD students that's part of my research consortium that's at at UPenn and she's looking at Korean heritage language textbooks mm-hmm. in the United States and finding all these like really interesting things about you know so the students are Korean kids that are like middle schoolers I think that are born in the United States using these textbooks that are imported from Korea and there's all these really interesting discussions in class where <laughs> the kids are like oh 
that's okay in Korea, but that's not okay for a Korean American. Like you can't hold hands with your friend if you're a Korean American. You can if you're Korean, right? Um, so she's finding really fascinating things that relate to politics and or politics in terms of like yes. power dynamics and um so like this is one piece of the puzzle we're doing with the Spencer, but it's a huge area of study. And you mentioned the textbooks being a a, a portion of research that really has hadn't been um, examined more closely. And just to to clarify, I, I mean, there are several folks at WSU, uh, maybe not several, but there there are a handful of people within the College of Education that are doing English language learner research. Right. But the expected outcomes are are different because what what we're going after is like. I mean, Gisela and Slavit yes. is one example, and she's had right. some big grants, right? right? But what she's looking at is increasing, like just one one thing is increasing the number of of uh, teachers who are linguistically diverse, yep. right. and it has less to do, in, in terms of my understanding of it, with textbooks, you know, right. those classroom resources. Right. I, yeah. My understanding is Gisela's research is very focused on teacher training, and I mean, Gisela and I actually do other types of research that are very similar. Um, and I kind of maybe am different from other faculty because I, I practice and research language education broadly conceived. So like English language learners, foreign language learners, indigenous languages, like I've done kind of the gamut of things. And I kind of see them all as connected towards this, like, like, my, I mean, probably personally, just my passion. Like I love language. I'm a huge dork and just love language, and my husband knows a lot about <laughs> linguistics. Oh, man. But, but, but then sort of, you know, towards this educational goal of, like, language is really important, like, across <laughs> the board, right? We like I think we're better as a society if we have citizens and residents that are proficient in different languages. So, um, I mean, English language learner research is, like, a whole different beast in some ways, mm -hmm. but also, I mean, we all really believe in the value of linguistic diversity. Anne-Marie Garitas, a winner of a Spencer Foundation Award, Barry Family Fellow, and a huge dork, as we know. Yeah. <laughs> any last words? Oh, gosh. I don't, I can't think of any. That's okay. <laughs> I wish I could think of some funny, like, I do miss, you know, I'm a dork. I like, we have these linguist jokes and I don't really have a lot of people to share them with, so I'll try to think. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, you, you go ahead and give us a linguist joke, and and like two people will understand it. I'm sure. Yeah, I can't even like, think. What of the heck any. is she talking about? Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Emery, for joining us on Education Eclipse. And you know, next time you go down to the Yucatan, let our dean know that you need a good photographer to go with there you. There you go. Right. Well, so some of my linguist friends in the Yucatan, they'll say we need to write a grant where we talk about like. We really need to do a study on like an indigenous language where there's lots of foreigners that come, you know, someplace like Cancun. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> the English that they hear, by the way, right. in, Cancun, in Cancun after after they've thrown back a few is probably yes. a lot different than what's in the textbooks they're right. reading. Yeah. That's where all the Mayans, there's like Mayans in Spanish. And Anne-Marie, yeah. thank you so much for joining me on Education Eclipse and uh, look forward to seeing what comes of your research. So yeah. and congratulations for the, uh, for the awards and the fellowships. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to Education Eclipse, a college of education podcast from Washington State University.